0: I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guests today are Mike Smith, professional teenager, motivational speaker, consultant, and ambassador, and Andy Norman, former executive director of Here in Nebraska, and both Andy and Mike are co-founders of Rabble Mill. As the co-founder of the nonprofit Rabble Mill, Mike Smith is working to end generational poverty one young person at a time by empowering kids to discover their passions and build life and professional skills through skateboarding, music and art. Rabble Mill includes a skateboard park program founded by Mike called The Bay and also Skate for Change, a global youth movement that empowers skateboarders to give back to the homeless in their communities. As if that wasn't enough, Mike also co-founded Find Your Grind, a career education platform for schools that connects students to the jobs and lifestyles of the 21st century. From his humble beginnings in Imperial, Nebraska, Mike is also known for having skateboarded across the state of Nebraska, twice. Also in the studio is Andrew Norman, former executive director of Here Nebraska, now part of Rabble Mail, Here, Nebraska meaningfully connects and engages fans, artists, and communities through music journalism, education, and events, and strives to make the state a globally recognized cultural destination, and is a fourth-generation Nebraskan, born in Grant and raised in Imperial, now living with his wife and son in Omaha. Welcome to you, Mike, and welcome to you, Andy. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So you both share a background in Imperial, Nebraska. So I, I guess I just want to ask, what were your childhoods like? I think for me, we moved to Imperial um, when I was an eighth grader.
1: And so coming from Rapid City, which is where we, we had grown up and then moving to Imperial kind of halfway at the end of your middle school years, you know, you come from what felt like a big city to what felt like the opposite. And so there wasn't a lot of culture or diversity in Imperial. And so I think that's where Andy and I our friendship kind of started was that we were just different and we were kind of into the same kind of music and into the same kind of things. And so we became friends my freshman year, his senior year. And so growing up for me, it was kind of, I feel normal though. I feel like I grew up like a normal kid would in Imperial, I played sports, had friends, you drive up and down main street cause that's what everyone else does. You figure out if there's anything unique to do that night yeah. there typically isn't. So then we figured out what to make the night unique. But yeah, we just kind of had a normal, a normal Western Nebraska high school experience. I think
2: pre-internet, pre-internet. Yeah. Basically. Pre-internet. Yeah. It was yeah. very, very much pre-internet. I don't know. For me, it was, it was just like very kind of Rockwellian existence, you know, like we rode our bikes all over town. Like you kind of, we had a noon whistle. We had a uh, 5.00 PM whistle. You had to be home by, you know, when the 5, 5.00 PM whistle hit, you needed to scurry home. Um, no crime, no violence, <laughs> like, um, a lot of, class divide where we were from and you know my so I was a I was a trailer park kid and that was something that was really I don't know something that was very prevalent in my existence I guess you know and like we kind of had the part of town where like the max edition where Mm -hmm. like all the like kids that were really wealthy lived and but yeah that was really the only diversity at all in our town but (laughs) that two blocks.
1: So two blocks <laughs> this true. way was that part of town, two blocks that way was yeah, the other yeah. part of town. Then you're pretty much out of town. Yeah. And so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a big divide, just maybe landmass wise, but it felt like it felt financially. Like yeah, it felt like a lot. Like those two blocks felt like a lot. Those,
2: they were long blocks like, too. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, super
1: rural agricultural yep. community. Yeah. Pretty typical industry. Western Nebraska upbringing, I would say.
0: As you look back to your childhood then in this sort of quintessential Western Nebraskan town, what lessons have you drawn from your experiences that have shaped or motivated you to become who you've become? For me, it's been what I've been trying to create
1: with the Bay and with some of you know the other things that we've done. I've always had this thing of, man, this is what I needed when I was a kid, or this is what I needed when I was in high school. And so a lot of it has been solving that problem of what didn't I have when I was growing up and how can I create the relevant version of that today. And so you know, we didn't have a place where kids could go, so I always wanted to create one. I didn't have a connection to what was going on in the world outside of, you know, what my parents did or what my parents' friends did. And so I created that through Find Your Grind. And so for me, it's been very much a lot of the things I've created have solved problems that I think I probably experienced as a, as a child. And so that's something that I think I've drawn a lot from, and so it's mm-hmm when I create things, it's very often with Imperial in mind. It's like, would, would this work in Imperial? Do they need this there? Would this be something that could help those kids or that community or those teachers or those parents? And so that's typically something that runs through my head when I'm in that creation stage. And so I think it's a big motivator and inspiration behind why I do yeah. what I do and where my output comes in.
0: And before Andy answers that question, let me just quickly follow up and ask, is there a disconnect between that motivation towards life as you experienced it in Imperial, Nebraska, a town of less than two thousand people, and perhaps what might speak to similar kids but living a much more urban experience in in perhaps a, a disadvantaged area of, say, Omaha or any other larger urban environment.
1: Yeah, and I think I I think that the the way it looks might be different, but I don't know that the issues are. If you live in an urban area, it's still lack of access. If you live in a rural area, it's still a lack of access. And so you, know, you think of one of the the outputs at the Bay, where we're doing this digital art space and it's this art community and you know creative space where we're giving kids access. We're giving them internet access. We're giving them program access. We're giving them access to people in the community who are experts in a certain industry and field. And so, yes, they're in the urban area, but they still lack the same access that we had being in rural Nebraska. And so- it may look different, but I still think the issues are similar. And so it's lack of opportunity, lack of access. And then that's where those gaps start to happen.
2: I would echo a lot of what he said, you know, the, the, what was very obvious was the lack of something, you know, the lack of this cultural opportunity. And that definitely drove a lot of like what I've done or since high school or whatever. Um, also, I think, you know, the two, the two things I think I took away from that community are like a very healthy chip on my shoulder, like that kind of class divide I mentioned led me to want to kind of prove it and just like prove it, prove it, prove it, it, do the work, prove it that way. My dad always told me that. And and the, the other thing is, is the ability to build relationships and talk to people and just be honest and genuine. And my dad always told me that it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I always resented that notion because I felt like, well, we don't know anybody. Like I thought it was like knowing people up here, you know? a class above you or something and somehow they were going to pull you up. But I later realized that it's, it's about being good to people around you, just everywhere. And then you all kind of rise together and you help people rise up and, and, you know, you find yourself in a situation to help somebody out and then it comes back, you know, and that's a lesson I took away from that and something I'm really excited to further instill in kids, you know, and teach like to me, that's a very kind of a soft skill thing that has really benefited me.
0: So I don't know the best way to approach this. I don't know if we should talk about Rabble Mill and unpack that a little bit, or if we should actually build up from here in Nebraska, the Bay, Escape for Change. What do you guys think? How how should we follow this trajectory? I think it's always fun
1: to kind of hear the here in Nebraska journey and the bay journey and how they intersected. You know, there's there's such a history and a story there. And I think that's the funnest part of it. You know, the, and the work that we do is in the story. And so I think we'll just start with you, Andrew. (laughs) Andrew Norman. (laughs) Michael
2: Smith. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, so my story, I, I grew up in Imperial, Nebraska, really lacked cultural opportunities beyond HBO, which truly turned me on to different people and different cultures and different types of music and just really different kinds of people that I found that I really gravitated to, um, the artists, um, progressives. And it gave me a lot of understanding for culture when I lacked real firsthand experience, you know, um, it made me accepting and understanding to some degree. So I went to UNL, got a journalism degree afterward. Um, I, I was a super underachieving student. It was who I knew. Um, I had a buddy who was, uh, from, my hometown, uh, we were friends when we were like in kindergarten and he knew somebody, I graduated college and just had no prospects, like applied to all these newspapers on the coast because there was not even a a blog that really existed is pre Huffington Post. And so that's what he did. Got no bites talking to my friend uh, that I I just described. And he was like, Hey, I know somebody who's talking about starting a magazine in Omaha and uh, you should come meet him. And and so his name is Eric Stokes and uh, he just passed away recently, but had a huge, huge impact on um, Omaha culture, uh, especially editorially and through events. So I met Eric, and he, you know, I kind of hung out for a while, and I think he just thought I was somebody he, he could trust, and he brought me along to start the Omaha City Weekly. And so I was there, really cutting my teeth, um, trying to keep my head above water as a journalist, editor, learning a big city like Omaha. And then uh, a couple years in, I, I kind of I left and went to the Reader, which is where I learned how to cover cops and crime and. Do investigative reporting, I kind of under John Heaston, who who's another mentor of mine, and then I went to grad school to study environmental journalism right as the economy kind of took a dump in two thousand eight and so journalism jobs were getting shed left and right had a uh, internship experience for Congressional Quarterly that summer um, covering environmental legislation on Capitol Hill and uh, really learned how to write in lots of different styles so Went back to uh, uh, my last year of school, um, needed a master's project. My wife and I wanted to create something that could help tell the story of Nebraska, evolve the narrative um, that became Here in Nebraska. Um, and to keep this a little shorter, since we've covered this in a previous <laughs> episode, uh, we, we started this nonprofit journalism platform that simply aimed to tell the story cumulatively as much as we could of all original Nebraska music, all genres across the state. We had no budget, had no idea how to how to build a nonprofit. We had this board um, that uh, you know continued to get developed, but we just started doing the work. We started telling stories, and eventually we found that we were really good at doing events. And through talking and learning from people like Rachel Jacobson at Film Streams and Trey Burchier and Mike App at Maha Music Festival, kind of figured out a little bit more of how to be an executive director and the fact that that meant I'm going to have to fundraise. And so started doing that, started growing. We started hiring people. um, And we just told Nebraska's music story for about seven years. uh, And we put on hundreds of concerts across the state, including uh, the Good Living Tour, a statewide concert tour that is just about to go on its fourth um, annual year, uh, going to four different towns across the state. Ran Lincoln Calling Music Festival for two years and really um, grew that just handed it off this year. Uh, Here, Grand Island Concert Series, a so multiple series that we're all really aimed at helping these communities attract and retain young people, frankly, because, you know, our rural communities are dying. We're, there's a brain drain. There's a brain drain in Nebraska in general. And But we have all these really awesome companies that need talent. And so, we need to do more to try to create an understanding that they're is a lot to do here like it, it's different and you have to find it a little bit but but there are things and there's cool stuff and in, in trying to help tell that story so we worked really hard at that for about seven years um and we kind of started realizing while that was a big, big effort, so was just building the music scene. And we felt like after seven years, we really hadn't moved the needle as far as like concert attendance or bands being able to live in Omaha and Lincoln and survive and stop fleeing, you know, to bigger cultural destinations. And so we realized that we needed to affect the the music scene of the future. We needed to impact kids. And we at Here in Nebraska lacked the Lacked the um infrastructure really to do that. We had no capacity on our personal staff, and we also lacked the ability to gain funding enough to to add that program. So we started thinking outside the box. I started thinking my my wife and I um started thinking about the bay and Mike's kind of similar trajectory, and so uh we convene at a certain point, but I'll let him kind of catch it up,
1: yeah, so for me, it was I was a social worker kind of right before I started the Bay and and into starting the Bay. And so I worked with homeless and runaway teenagers and my job was to kind of help kids get off the street and back into a stable home situation or back into school. And so, you know, it felt like a little dog, the bounty hunter sometimes, and a little like, finding kids and trying to build relationships. And I realized it's hard to build relationships with at-risk youth if the entire conversation stems from, you know, you, you're you in trouble or you need to go back to school or you need to go home. And so you need to build relationships with kids before they end up, you know, in a place of need. So I wanted to create a place. And so this kind of goes back to wanting a place to go as a kid. And I said early on, kids need three things, somewhere to go, something to do, and people who care. And that was really kind of a motivator for the Bay. And so I started with skateboarding. And did what Andy did. And we both kind of had that same thing where I just Googled how to start a nonprofit and printed off a checklist, did everything it said, slapped together a board of directors, got some recycled ramps, built a skate park, and I put it in a mall. And I put the skate park in the mall early on because in my mind, if you start in a warehouse somewhere somewhere, people aren't going to trust it. No one's going to show up. So you need to establish that credibility in the community. So for the first 18 months, my rent check and my marketing check kind of felt like the same thing because we were very, you know, no one was getting paid. Everyone was volunteering, very DIY. We were just really DIY in the mall. And so we were constantly, you know, in trouble. Andy would volunteer and run some shifts with he and his wife back there. And it was awesome. But we like any warm body that could help, I was like, you're in, let's go. And so we, you know, 18 months went by and I realized there was a night that was kind of evolved. The narrative for me was, we got done. It was like a summer night and I went downstairs mall closes at nine. So we had to close at nine. I walked downstairs and it was like classic 10 middle school, high school skateboarders just sitting in a parking lot. And I gave them the like, Hey guys, don't get in trouble tonight. And I might as well have said, Hey guys, don't touch the red button. Cause when I left, they went ahead, hit the red button and everybody got in trouble. And so that next day my phone's blowing up with these kids who are in trouble. And I realized, man, if I'd have just been open a couple hours later, like they were here and they wanted to be here and we had them, but I had to close cause the mall closed. And so it really opened my eyes. To we need to be open later, you know, if you're a youth serving organization and you're working, you know, to help young people, you got to be open when they need you. And if you close at five o'clock on a Friday, who are you really serving? And so I was like, We got to get out. So we found a warehouse, moved into this warehouse, and I didn't change our hours. So we still opened at 10 a.m., but we were closing at you know midnight and like a weekend on a Tuesday, you know, there's like 50 kids skating at noon. And I was like, man, we're killing it. This is awesome. And then I was like, oh, they all skipped school to be here though. And I was, I walked back in and I was like, everybody go back to school, like get out of here. And so we changed our hours like that day and we have summer hours and school hours now. And so we started opening a little later. So kids would quit skipping school to come skate. But then that really got us thinking like, man, this is the place kids want to be. So start throwing opportunity and education and impact at a building where kids want to be and want to go. And you've got a real recipe for success and life change and serious community impact. And so we've just been adding programming that's been meant to be impactful. You know, we're one of our programs that we're really proud of is the All Access Pass. And it's evolving into something really special this year where we're giving access and opportunities to kids who are, you know, it's being distributed through the Lincoln Public School system. And they get free skate access, free concert access, free event access, access to our digital art space. And so it's really cool to see what we've, you know, been able to create as far as just connecting passion and opportunity, you know, and that's something that we're really trying to do a lot down at the bay. But for us, the trajectory really was we opened up the skate park. And like the day after we had our grand opening, my staff, which was like all volunteers and one guy, we looked at each other and we were like, I guess let's just go keep building the rest. So we just went to the other side and just got to work and started tearing away at it and chipping away at it. And it took us years, like literal people don't understand the process. Everybody likes to walk in and be like, wow, this place is phenomenal. And they don't see like the two or three years of people walking over, you know, not on the clock, not because they were told to, but because they believed in the vision and just like tearing out ductwork, tearing out ceilings, ripping out floors, tearing down walls, like a lot of really hard work that like people just did because they believed in the vision and where we were headed. And so we opened up phase two and phase two has a venue and like Andy's doing great things in music. We'd partnered a ton. Music was going to be a thing that I really wanted to invest in as far as like music mentoring and take the same lesson of let's get kids skating when they're young and we get an opportunity to build this community. Same thing's true with music, same thing's true with art. And so we were really on a crash course to start either having to partner on about everything we did, or it was a really cool opportunity for us to merge and, you know, merging two nonprofits that are different, but similar and have, friends who are involved and people who are very connected and it makes it interesting from a how do we explain this to community? You know, and how do you not explain it like, you know, in the business, in the for-profit world, you know, the business world, a merger and an acquisition are typically a little cutthroaty, right? Like we bought you and you don't exist. It's our name now and our HR, our people are, you know, like there's that force of like it's one thing. And I think Andy and I were really intentional. And we tried to be really intentional about it, not being like the death of one thing or the closing of one thing, but it was really the coming together of two very like-minded organizations who really believe in each other and believe in the mission. And we truly believe we're going to do way more good together than we ever could have done apart. And I'll speak from 100% selfish perspective. Like I'm having a ton of fun and it's really fun to be able to create, you know, we went from maybe 10 people on the Bay that were W2s a year ago, you know, our staff now we're at 24, 25 people that are on staff and it's growing quickly and our budgets have almost tripled you know and it's like we're really growing fast but it's so fun to create something with one of your best friends growing up
2: do you feel shaken down and out of love from drop bones collecting dust off the thought of who you are are you burdened by time from clocks duck marks measure perspective violet, life could we still move on, on? Words on your tongue. Did you mean what you said when you said that you are done? Are the words on your tongue? Words on your tongue. Did you mean what you said when you said that you are done? You left in a hurry up a day. What you claim to be, you're still they you can see you've got such nerve. I won't turn back, turn keep running on. Do do you feel the waiting for you?
0: Thought. Let's jump straight to it and, yeah. and pierce the utopia, and just ask—you know—what what are the problems? What are the challenges? What are the things that you've got to get right, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're going to succeed with this vision?
1: Yeah, and I think I think for us, it's it's how you how you communicate as a staff is a big one. I think we're we're working on the first four months was really like figure out what we are, figure out where we're going, and how are we going to build this thing together. But I think you know pe- it's a people game. Anytime you merge two organizations, or anytime you get over what can fit in one room, it really becomes a people game. And we've got three very separate types of things happening down there with skateboarding, music and art. And then you add in outreach as a whole nother component and you add in coffee and food and development. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's, there's so many things. The Bay isn't just one thing. It's a lot of things. And rabble mill isn't one thing. It's a lot of things. And so I think it's always a people game. And I think the thing that we're, Constantly asking ourselves is how do we set our people up for success? How do we have hard conversations early? Because I feel like, and I don't know if this is how you feel, Andy, but everything we do now kind of sets the tone for how we're going to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so mm-hmm. that first tough conversation you have to have, because your HR department's still being formed. Well, how you do it now sort of sets the tone for what people expect later. How do you handle paid time off? We're like, well. Huh? how do you handle paid time? Like we're developing a lot of these things together now. And so, and there was like a, there was loose, like, well, this is how here Nebraska does it. And there was loose, well, here's how the Bay does it, but you're coming together and not because one was better than the other, but like really saying, well, let's create this together. And so I feel like it's going to be the next two years are going to be a lot of firsts. Like we're going to have a lot of firsts and a lot of first times either one of us have experienced this not just as an organization, but as individuals too. And so there's a lot of firsts, which makes anything challenging, but I think communication is the big, the big ticket right now for us.
2: Absolutely agree. I mean, team culture is critical. You know, you're merging two staffs, you're merging two boards. We have a 20 year friend relationship, but we, you know, we also are the administrators of this organization now. So that's super interesting. I think, you know, here in Nebraska and the Bay, both scrapped together to become what they were. There wasn't like, well, here's our 10 year plan, like, or even six months, let's just do this because it should be done. And then found ourselves stuck in like, oh, we got to keep doing this. So how do you do it? And we kind of figured out how to do it right a little bit. And this is an opportunity to kind of look at everything we've done and, and kind of audit it and think like, does this make sense to continue doing? If so, How do we tweak it to make it better? You know, like what stays, what goes? Uh, And that was just super refreshing. And now it feels like after four months or five months of really doing that, focusing on our infrastructure, implementing systems um, and focusing on operations a ton. Now we get to release some new programs, which is super exciting. Now we
0: get to to do the fun stuff a little bit more. Share a story maybe tell some of those incidences or experiences that the kids that have come to your program or programs have moved you in some way. So what are some of the stories that you would share that would maybe illustrate to the people listening, this is a kid's eye view on an experience they would have coming to you guys? Yeah, I think, I think one of my favorite ones would be Cora,
1: who is a, she's a barista and she's on staff at the Bay. You know, she started as a sixth grade skate kid who showed up in the mall just wanting to take skate lessons and came and skate and became a part of it and got involved in skate for change and really kind of just became like one of our awesome first female skateboarders that were really invested in the culture of what we are. And, you know, when we opened up the new bay, she did the thing that a lot of girls do, you know, finished high school and went, kind of did her own thing and then she found her way back. And she's taken such a deep dive into our culture and our community. She's a part of the girls skate night. She's doing art all the time. It's it seems like she never leaves. Like I'm like, I can't tell the difference between when she's working and when she's not because she's just there, you know, and she's just an amazing person and she's, yeah, she's cooking and she's doing coffee and she's just went from a, you know, who was just a skateboarder and just a kid that was a part of the community. Now she's really kind of on this path to learning a lot about life and social work and impact and community. And yeah, she's leading people and it's awesome. And she's looked up to by a lot of the younger girls that go there, which is phenomenal. And that's really that, that piece that we love is that like when the place that helps you, when you get to stick around and then pass it on is an awesome experience. And so I think we're cultivating a lot of that. We're building a community of people who are, you know, the Bay has impacted their life for, for one reason or another, but they're not, they're not using us just as a place of impact and then moving on from it. They're sticking around and they're bringing their kids back and they're skating still, or they're investing in skate lessons or skate school. And so I think those are the stories I love, but yeah, we've, even the people who work for us have been around and in and the journey. I think that's one of my favorite stories to talk about.
2: One that immediately comes to mind is this past Saturday, we hosted a number of different events. We had skate school in the morning and then we we had this is skateboarding a like all skill levels competition. Um but we also threw this one of the first live stream Fortnite events in the state, if not the um Fortnite is a video game that is pretty popular and we learned about it about a week and a half ago. Um but Dr. Lupo is a pro Fortnite player and he's based out of Omaha and this is a huge thing, huge industry. And there are a lot of like sub subsequent industry jobs that, that come from this. We had a company out of Lincoln who, um, it was this dude who worked for, I think it was Verizon quit his job because he got really good at building custom, uh, gaming machines like computers and they look sweet and they're like glowing and everything. And so they were there too. And so there, there's this industry that Mike and I didn't know really existed truly. Um, and so, on our stage, we had Dr. Lupo playing with a few different kids who got to s- sit up there and play live, and they're being watched by hundreds of thousands kid, of the, people, yeah. uh, and it's coming streaming out of the bay. So there are these kids sitting there uh, playing this game, and behind them, I saw there are about six skateboarders, and they're all wearing their helmets, just like <laughs> you know, little Johnny and his yeah. crew, and uh, they're like they're just watching this kid play this game, and like you can just see this culture clash and and a technology clash happening at once. And you explained that like the we talk a lot about our community in, in the Bayes neighborhood, the Clinton neighborhood uh, poverty levels, about 40 percent, which it's about 13 percent across the rest of the of the city of Lincoln. So there are these kids in our community who don't have access to technology. Um, when there's a technology gap, there's an opportunity gap where there's an opportunity gap you have. Uh, that's where generational poverty really lies. And so th- I just saw this image of this is it. This is why we do this. And we we put people in different situations so they get to see other worlds. And it's not just kids at risk kids, um, quote unquote, at risk kids who use the bay. It's also, you know. Senators kids, you know, and you never know which kid is which. But when when there's this like cultural kind of mixing happening, it's so interesting. Like you never know, like one of those skaters might really love gaming or might love computers, you know, and this might be a spark to help them kind of set out on that path. Mike mentioned our collective digital arts center, so that is really what we're aiming to do. We want kids to find their passion, whatever it is, if it's audio engineering or graphic design or writing or photography or video, and then we want to give them opportunities to explore that, get really great at it, bring in experts from the community and businesses to help teach workshops so that we can, if if you like to, if you like to code, we can give you every opportunity you could possibly want to, to really explore that.
0: So maybe round this out then by just talking a little bit more about Skate for Change and Find Your Grind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Skate for Change was really an opportunity for me early where I was like,
1: okay, I'm asking the community to believe in these kids and donate and, and give back. But I wanted our kids to recognize their responsibility and giving back to the community as well. So I would skate around handing out socks and beanies and bottles of water to the homeless. And I just started inviting whoever to show up. And some days it would be two, some days it would be 25. And I didn't really pay attention to who didn't show up. I was just like, all right, this is what we got today. This is where we're going. This is what we're given. And it really blossomed. And I think when kids recognized how easy and simple it was, they realized like they didn't need me to do it. They could just go do it on their own. So escape for Change went from, you know, me and kids in Lincoln and then as I traveled and spoke around the country, these chapters started popping up and now we've got like 80 active chapters just launched Chicago a couple of days ago. We've got, I mean, other countries like there's Omaha's got a chapter, you know, Lincoln's got a really strong chapter. It's it's awesome to watch kids just take that initiative and say, all right, like I can get socks and I can give them out on my own and my community needs these things. And so Scaver Change has been this really awesome extension of, Hey, we were trying to create some cool programming for our kids in Lincoln. And it kind of evolved to this thing of like, anybody can do this anywhere. So that's really the beauty of skate for change. And then find your grind for me was again, kind of connecting it back to some of my Nebraska Imperial roots was, you know, opportunity and access to things. And so what I'm creating, what we've created with me and our kind of our partners at find your grind is it's basically this just virtual space where kids get to, you know, figure out what's possible There's a curriculum that goes with it that schools can use. So if you're a teacher and, you know, you teach career ed or you're teaching, you know, a health class or science class or a math class, I'm trying to bring real world opportunities to the classroom. So we're doing that by filming just jobs like it's basically a virtual job shadow. So what does it look like to work at esports? Well, we went and filmed what it looks like to work at esports. What does it mean to work at Snapchat? We can go film what happens behind the doors at Snapchat. Everything from firefighters to NASCAR to the tech industry to Things that kids are interested in, I don't need to go film what a doctor does all day. We will, but people pretty much understand. We've been to the doctor, like we've seen some of that. I think some of these new industries and new opportunities that exist for kids, teachers don't even know they're out there. So it makes it hard for them to tell a kid, oh, you're really good at this. I know this exists in the world for you to go do. And so we're trying to help bridge that gap between what's possible for young people and who's telling them what to be and how to be when they grow up. And so we're really trying to create an awesome resource for teachers and schools and find your grind is a great output for that. And the easiest thing you can do is just go to findyourgrind.com and check it out for yourself and really dive through and look at the content, look at the videos, look at what we've created, but it's a chance for kids to walk away with a portfolio after the end of it of understanding kind of who they are and what they want to be. And I, I believe with young people, especially today in the internet space, kids don't, sit there and dream necessarily about a job. Like they're more dreaming about a lifestyle and kind of where they're going to live and how they're going to live. And so we've got to keep that in mind and really show kids, all right, you want this lifestyle and you have these strengths. Well, here's all the jobs that exist that can give you that strength. And a good example of that is the Dr. Lupo event. A lot of kids play Fortnite. Millions of people play Fortnite. There was one person that day being paid because they played Fortnite. There was about 30 people being paid to support the event that didn't play Fortnite. And so there's an opportunity for kids to say, oh, you want to be a pro athlete? Well, if you don't make it, did you know these thousands of jobs exist to support that? So you're still in in the industry. And I kind of call that the pivot. Like I want to show kids, like be what you want, chase what you want, love what you love, but recognize that Sometimes when you get there, maybe it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. And so I want to, you know, there's a roadmap for kids, I think, today. And I talk about this a lot. There's a roadmap to do things, but it's kind of like the interstates are laid. But there's always that back highway that's a little bit faster or the scenic route that a lot of us take. And most of us didn't have one path. You probably didn't have one path to getting here. 30 years ago, you probably didn't think you'd be sitting here. And so we evolve as people and we evolve as is just, yeah, the things that we're passionate about and the skills we have. And so I want to bring as much opportunity to the classroom as I possibly can, because this thing's relevant. Find Your Grind was relevant 50 years ago, it's relevant today, and it'll be relevant 50 years from now. And I think that's why it's special.
0: earlier and your online bio speaks to, you know, a 2.4 GPA, uh, being an average kind of guy, average kind of upbringing and your name, Mike Smith. (laughs) So there's this whole idea of being uh, fairly ordinary and average, but that clearly isn't the case, right? Given everything that you've been doing and the change that you've been making. So maybe speak a little bit to this idea of not being average, right? And I think most people. I think if you asked a room filled with people, they would tell
1: you they were average. You know, it's pretty rare to walk into somebody who can sit there and say, well, I'm the best. Like I'm the best in the world of this thing. There aren't a lot of those. And so I think a lot of times we all feel average and we all feel ordinary. I just happen to be like, the most average. Like my name is average. My lifestyle is average. Like I just was, but I think I can be a representation for the average person out there. You can still do extraordinary things. You've just got to care about people and you've got to have a purpose and a passion and you can't wait for it to come to you. Like you have to go chase it. And I think that's what I want to inspire kids to do, whether that's through the work at the Bay or Rabble Mill, or if that's through find your grind. And so for me, it's really about showing people like, yeah, you grew up. You know, maybe without the most opportunities, but it doesn't mean you can't go chase those things and find those things. And to me, it's really about how good you are to people and how kind you are to people and how genuine you are and how much you're willing to give without asking. You know, and I think those things really do matter. And knowing your strengths and knowing your skills and knowing your worth, I think you can go do some incredible things. But I really feel like for any average person out there, if you're listening to this and you feel like, hey, I'm just kind of average too, I don't think it means you have to be
0: average. I think you can do incredible things.
1: And that's what I think.
0: So I, I, I'm i not entirely sure the question I want to ask. I mean, I wrote something down, but I'm not entirely sure how to phrase this. So you, Mike, you work with a variety of very well-known major international brands. I'm thinking about maybe a couple of issues. This idea of credibility, on the one hand, you seem to be, uh, uh, you self-describe as a professional teenager in your bio, which which is a great title, but then you are also doing business with, you know, if we want to pick stereotypes, you know, the suits or corporate C-suite and mm-hmm. major international conglomerates. So I'm thinking about the idea of credibility. How do you get people that aren't kids to pay attention to the messaging that you clearly are, are both of you are clearly so passionate about? It's the dynamic between sure. between you being you um, still being a credible representative and an advocate to and for kids, while at the same time being able to just do the business of life, selling this vision to people with money, working in a corporate world. Right. And I think, I think the professional
1: teenager thing has always just been a funny way to put it because I didn't know what else to call myself. And so we sort of landed with that. I'm in this really unique space. And I don't know if this is a place that you get to live for a long time, but it's just where I find myself today where... I think I can bridge the gap between corporate and kid. And I think it can kind of be a a street. It's not a one way street. You know, I'm not just speaking as an advocate for youth to corporate America and I'm not just speaking, you know, from corporate America's perspective to youth. And so I don't think it's a, it's a one way street. I really think it's two way. And I think that I've paid a lot of attention over the last few years on how to, how to function around the corporate setting and how to function around people who are the suits and ties and how to be thoughtful and intentional and when to talk and when not to, and when to be strategic and you know, but I think the one thing that I I can hang my hat on is I'm, I'm always myself and I'm pretty authentic and organic. And I don't think I change, you know, I show up to corporate events, rocking a beanie, wearing a t-shirt. I don't wear a suit and tie when I speak. I never have, I don't have to. I think people appreciate that I'm kind of authentic to who I am. And I think that one of the, one of the ways that maybe I'm able to sort of ease corporate America's if they were nervous about anything, which could be a number of things I imagine, I think it's the work that I've done speaks for itself. And I think you can walk into a 30 some thousand square foot warehouse and recognize that I played a major part in creating this vision in this place. And I think the same thing's true with skate for change and the same thing's true with find your grind. And I think that the work that I do speaks for itself. And I think the message that I get to push and the things that I'm chasing is stuff that we all connect with. And so, yeah, I think for me, it's really, I'm not trying to be an advocate for one side or the other. I think I'm really trying to help both sides understand each other a little bit more. And I think I've got some value in that space and understanding both. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting we talk, I, t- I end up having a lot of conversations that, you know, one minute I go from like kid world and the next minute it's like, we've got to have these higher level conversations. And I feel like I've just learned pretty well how to transition my train of thinking from being in one space to the next and having
2: conversations the right way, I guess. I I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd add to this, like, honestly, I think it's that his heart is in the right place. He He is genuine. That's true. And like, you might like if I looked at you, it almost looks like you're wearing like I'm a genuine. I can I can relate to kids suit, <laughs> but that's just how you dress. That's how you dress, and and uh, so he's genuine, but like his heart is in the right place at all times. So he's he's like we talk a lot at, at Robble Mill about like let's let's be part of the the rising tide. Mm-hmm. Let's really truly believe in. Other people in our community and help them succeed instead of seeing them as competitors and, you know, really be have a growth mindset. Um, and he does that and he brings up people around him through his organizations and even in the like private business stuff he does, like he's always plugging in his his friends and like people he who are around him and trying to give them opportunities to succeed and by and large they do and that's what i think is so unique about what he's doing and really negates any sort of argument that it's kind of an actor's super intentional to like win over this particular audience like it's real and it's super dorky i think too
0: It takes two, baby, it takes two, baby Make a dream come true, just take two One can have a broken heart living in misery Two can really ease the pain like a perfect remedy So Andy, let me pick up on something you said earlier, which was you, after seven years with here in Nebraska, came to a realization that some of the goals you wanted to achieve possibly could not be achieved through that entity as it stood. Right. I think many people that are familiar with nonprofits will understand that as amazingly passionate and well-intentioned as people involved with the running and the management and the operations of nonprofits, Mm -hmm. no one wants to see their entity dissolved because it doesn't seem to be meeting its need. Right. It's just a natural human reaction. So I want to speak <clears throat> to, I want to ask you about two things. One is where did that courage come from to look at where you were and realize that some of the aspirations you had couldn't be achieved right. the right. way you were doing things? And how did you get your board mm-hmm. to buy into this and to follow along sure. with, with this, this epiphany you had? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. I, um, it, it's something I think about a
2: lot. Uh, so I think the, it was a slow realization that we, through our journalism, um, the journalism industry has changed, you know, from 2017, last year, back to when we started in 2010, when we started in 2010, we were crushing it on Facebook, you know, (laughs) like we were a lot of businesses were not doing Facebook well. And like its algorithm allowed you, it was very, very generous. It allowed you to like grow real fast. And we we did. Um, and so like that helped our stories get um, widely viewed. And and over time, other like Instagram became more popular, for instance, but in, but Facebook started uh, really making you pay to get reach, you know, like so our reach went severely down. That happened. I think also just like in what's happened in the last seven years is like live stream video and like Netflix. And it's just it's hard to get people out. It was clear that we weren't moving, like we had, we'd intended to help musicians really grow and succeed and get to their next level through telling their story and ho- hoping that they would kind of use that to kind of like as a jumping off point and promote themselves you know, and tour more. And it just didn't work. Um, ultimately, after seven years, it was just clear that like, we're not moving the needle this way. Um, the journalism is great. And from a documentation standpoint, to me, that's so, so important. You know, for seven years, we documented Nebraska's cultural history musically. And uh, I hate it. That was the hardest part for me to let go just because like, I feel like it should be, it should be captured for future generations, you know? And I felt like we had a, a responsibility to do that you know, the events we were doing, um, were, were extremely fun, uh, as well. And doing, I think they were helping bands, you know, we would, we really prided ourselves on paying bands well. And I think everybody knew that we did and we wanted them, you know, and I think in a lot of cases, you know, they use the money we paid them to play a show in like our hometown, Imperial Nebraska, for instance, to record or as a jumping off point for a tour and kind of help sustain the tour and supplement, um, bad shows. So, That was helpful in in some cases, but ultimately we were spreading a little resources to every original Nebraska musician in the state, whether they were really trying to get to their next level or not. And so it was clear that we could be more efficient with the resources we provided working artists, musicians. Um, and when we talked to them and we we did and we asked a lot of questions, we did surveys and like what they need, they need access to touring vans. They need practice space. They need education on finance, legal, band management, band organization, these sort of infrastructure things. And we weren't built to provide those at that point. We also, uh, you know, as I mentioned, like this clear need to uh, impact the music scene five and 10 years from now and like get ahead of it, be proactive. We lacked the ability to do that on our own we needed to pivot. Um, personally, I was really ready to pivot, you know, after doing this kind of up growing, like our budget grew 40% year over year. And that wasn't like, oh, that budget was waiting for us. That was our ex- expense budget too. Our margin was always super tight. We grew just big enough to do more stuff. And uh, it took a toll. Um, and it, it just like stopped. We uh, achieved every dream we ever wanted probably two years in, you know, and then it was just like, oh, how far can we push this? But the, the opportunity to merge with the Bay and form Rabble Mill was the opportunity to kind of really change that. So we, now have access to all of these kids who are really interested in music and we get to create new programs to help those kids become really versatily talented music industry professionals and build the music industry in Nebraska, not just the performance side. And on the other end, we get to help the artists who are trying to get to their next level through educational resources and hopefully mentoring these young kids. And I think that ultimately that will move the needle for the music industry and community more than we ever could have had we not pivoted.
0: So, what about bringing your board along? Yeah.
2: And that was, um, it was a little tricky. I mean, it's just they had both of our boards had so much love for, you know, Angie and I and Mike that they were, while Mike and I, that negotiation was very easy. um, Our boards were always having our backs real hard, you know? So they were like doing their job and really vetting this decision very hard. They were being very responsible, but they also, did a wonderful job of being open to it and communicating um, and making it happen. They did so much work. Um, we have the best board in, in the state, uh, in my opinion. They're fantastic and I love them. I think one hard thing for me was, you know, when I mentioned that uh, I had this realization that like this wasn't working and Angie and I, you know, talked about this a lot and kind of realized this was the case. It was hard to tell the board because they had so much, they, they really truly believed in what we were doing and so much. And they believed in us that it, it almost felt like we were letting them down by saying like, I think maybe you believe this is the right direction a little bit more than we do right now, you know, and they, they got it and they came on board and, and I think we're much stronger because of it. And yeah, I just really appreciate all of their honesty and clarity and communication and same with the Bay board.
0: So skateboarding, it may have seemed an obvious pathway to you, but excuse the pun, but why skateboarding is the vehicle for beginning this journey?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, something that as a kid I loved, but was never great at. And then I also think it kind of goes back to, I had no access to it. You know, it was very inaccessible in Western Nebraska. Like it wasn't like You know, if you grew up in the 90s and early 2000s as a skate kid in Omaha, like there's a lot of concrete. There's a lot of places to buy a skate. I mean, Walmart, if you wanted to just buy a terrible Walmart board for us was over an hour away, you know, so like accessibility to it was something that I just didn't have and was always you know, had skateboard, skated a lot, was never great, will never be great, never claimed to be great. And that's just part of it. But I think skateboarding was the start for me. And it was a culture and a space where there was also a lack of, you know, there wasn't anyone covering music when you guys started like this and there was no real place that, you know, skateboarders could do their thing. And so, yeah, I think for me, it just seemed like the natural first place to start. And if you think about, you know, our mission statement early on was from the jump was skateboarding, music and art, you know, music and art for me were could happen inside of a skate park. You can't really skate inside of a, like a venue or like an art gallery. And so you needed the place first. And so skateboarding seemed like the natural start and the natural place. And I think when it comes to being an entrepreneur and starting something, I think that a lot of people try to approach it from, man, if we create something, we can make a bunch of money. If we create something, we can make a bunch of impact. But I think the right question to ask is, is this a problem? I'm okay solving the rest of my life. Like, is this an industry I'm okay being a part of and trying to figure out and trying to navigate for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the heart of where a lot of, especially socially driven entrepreneurs, like people who are going to create social change and social impact, you've really got to be passionate about trying to solve a problem. And I think that's what I was trying to do was solve, you know, not just the problem of giving people a place to skate, but also giving opportunities to those who skate and giving access to those who skate. And the same is true with the music industry and the same is true with art and the same is true with, you know, the just a lot of the different ways the Bay impacts the community and with the way rabble mills impacting mul- many communities. And so I guess for me it was skateboarding was a vehicle because it was a problem and still is a problem. I'm really cool investing in for the rest of my life, trying to make, as many opportunities for skateboarders and not just Nebraska, you know, our, like they just built a skate, they're building a skate park in Imperial, our small little town. Like not only did I like try multiple times and did not succeed. It was like fourth graders called team hot wheels out in Imperial who yeah, like they did it. sold lemonade, sold burritos, like do, hit me up for donations. You know, like these got kids Tony got there. Tony Hawk foundation. on board. I mean, they did it. And like, I'm not even going to sit here for a moment and take any credit for it. But to be able to know that I played a tiny little role in hopefully inspiring some fourth grade kids that they could create a really cool skate thing in Imperial, Nebraska, like that's what I'm talking about. And I think the thing that makes me excited is what our kids are believing is possible now is so much greater than what they believed was possible when I first started. Like our kids truly believe they can build skate parks. Like our kids believe they can start companies and start brands and can code and can work for the, like, I, I love the confidence that we're giving kids because it's happening through skills and opportunities and access. Oh, and then this one, and I can't believe I didn't bring this one <laughs> up. We just launched today. We just got it. Like before we walked in here, we have the worst video ever taken of all time. I don't know how it's so low res, but we finally, we figured it out in the iPhone era. We have the lowest res video of 2018, but we have this video of us opening a box. We created a magazine. So we have a real print publication called the rabble mag and teenagers Oldest person involved was like 19, yeah. minus our person who kind of helped just corral the opportunity. We created a publication and we're shipping this magazine. It's a culture magazine r- written by kids for kids about things that they were passionate about. They picked the stories, they picked the cover photos. You know, Andy was very hands off with it. Our Andrew Stellman, who's phenomenal for us, he helped corral the kids, but they really, it was their output. And we created this magazine and it's this print magazine that to me is such as such a an awesome showing of what we're all about giving kids the cameras giving kids the pen giving kids the the opportunity to tell stories to other parts of the state. And so this magazine is going to hit, you know, high school libraries and any place kids are at, it's going to show up there. You know, it's a, it's an awesome output and showing of what we've created. And so I think it's a really cool example of giving kids opportunities and then investing resources and time into making sure that those opportunities can equal marketable skills someday. And, you know, ending generational poverty through opportunity. Like it's cool. It's a really cool thing. And the magazine, and it looks cool. Like it's not, it's like, better than anything i get in the mail. And i get a lot. Of, you know how you get stuff in the mail? Like this is one of those when you get it you're like, "Who is this? What is it? Where did this come from?" Like, did i subscribe to this? Like it's one that you feel like you would have paid for, but it's output by 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids and that to me is incredible. I'm excited about it. Really excited
0: about it. So let's end with this and by by me inviting each of you to maybe consider and reflect on what has surprised you the most in this journey and what are you hoping for for the future. What
2: surprised me the most is the difference in how I feel now, uh, compared to how I did as here in Nebraska was hitting this point of like, it felt like the horizon was closing in around us. Like our opportunities were becoming more and more limited. Like I felt like I feel, I feel, um, opportunity all around me. Like, I feel like our scope now Frankly, as a nonprofit, allows us to do so much and impact so many communities, and be able to really dive in and think. You know, how can we make Lincoln skateboarding culture amazing, and how can we do that in music, and how can we do that with digital arts, and which community partners can we bring into our space to make to build more relationships? That and and I I just don't see that closing. Um, what what I really hope for it is, is really to, to see our vision, to build the next one in Omaha and build a Bay Omaha. Um, That's something we is definitely um, an ambition of ours. And, you know, we've definitely talked to a lot of people in Omaha who would love to see that happen. And so um, that's exciting to think about. And then, you know, who knows, who knows where after that, that, that is extremely exciting to me. I think
1: we've all, we've all had to go to work and, there's that feeling of like, all right, I got to do this today. Like I got to get up and I got to go today. And I think the thing that's been so surprising to me is it's, it's hard and it's difficult and it's sometimes it's terrifying and it's not always fun, but it hasn't become work yet. You know, like, it's like a, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Like it's hard to even go on vacation, you know, like it's hard to just shut it off because I love this so much. And so I think I love that we've created a thing that. And I think maybe this was kind of something I didn't think about early was we're creating opportunities, like a job for people who work with us Mm -hmm. where it's like their dream job. Like people are getting jobs and they're like, this is kind of all I've ever wanted. And it's like, well, we created that. And so I think that to me was maybe a little surprising and just how much people believe in this and love this and care about it. Cause you know, when you care about something, we all have our passion. It could be a million things, but your passion is your passion. But when that aligns with so many awesome people and that gets to be your passions together, like the joy and the excitement and the fun of it is something that is contagious. And I think that's, what's happening with rabble mill is there's a very contagious piece to I'm young. I'm a creative. I want to make a difference. I want to change my community. And I believe in music, skateboarding art, like that's a contagious thing. And I think we're creating something really sticky and it's so fun and I love it. And yeah, it hasn't become work yet, which I think is the part that I'm really excited about too.
0: I see the crystal Live's radio show is supported by Humanities Nebraska, inspiring and enriching personal and public life by delivering opportunities to engage thoughtfully with history and culture. Learn more at humanitiesnebraska.org. And I want to spend some time with you, just the two of us. I've been in conversation with Mike Smith and Andy Norman. Thank you both for being on the show. Mm-hmm. Having us. Yeah, thank you. That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, conversation and the people that bring community to life.